Greetings everyone, this is V aka Vernon English signing in for today for the daily podcast or I guess you could say daily podcast, I, I kind of attribute it to something else, but hit the subscribe button, tell someone about it, let them know that you like the art and, excuse me, not the art, that's pretty funny. Well, technically, if you attribute a lot of what I say as art or visual art, that would be really cool too. But I have a lot of other different material that I bring to you, and I always say this. And this part of the series, I'm really excited to talk about it and explain what the hell is going on in this particular part of the story. I've done so before, but in this context... And in this light, it's a bit different and a bit more involved. And I actually am excited about it because I came up with a new part uh, to explain. So let's, let's jump into this a little bit here. And it's the Floating Isles Part 2. Now, I've always described all of the different settings in Celestial as different parts. But juxtaposed and kind of sandwiched next to one another where there are certain layers and this part of the story dealt with the refugee part but in the general excuse me general sense of the the plight and so uh the series starts where these people are in a valley and basically they're trying to figure out what it is particularly the next move because there was nothing but the past there or where they initially began now most of them obviously being refugees had experienced some kind of conflict but the bandits and many other looters raping, pillaging, all the things, they, they had already left and had already left bodies. These were the survivors of said things and the sieges. Siege. So basically they, they banded together and the refugees, women, children, and some men were figuring out what would be their next move. The, the valley was a, a ticking time frame or time bomb as far as or if there was a limited amount of time that they could spend there without food, nutrients, and this, this, that, and the third, and then the bandits would inevitably return. And so the interesting thing about this story is that I always wanted to place my listeners now, but readers, into the driver's seat of whatever character was that was being portrayed. And so... To look in the general sense of what someone and their decision making would be if they didn't have their memories and it was flight or flight. Nature versus nurture, the, the inherent thing that was purveying in their heads was survival. And so they were going to water or going towards some place that would help. Initially, some sense of reservoir, a river, some place where they could go find nutrients and then go to the next spot. Um, they were despondent and a bit torn, war-torn uh, from battling the bandits and this, this, that, and the third. And the characters in their sense are Ayaz and the other one was Renzo. 
and I introduced these characters being as of a darker complexion just because that's generally what I had in my head when I was designing uh, this story and I wanted them to and obviously reminiscent of the characters that I saw them based off of and Ayaz is one of the ones from Pirates of Dark Water uh, he doesn't generally look like him but he does have the almond skin and, and these were the two chosen leaders of said refugee group. Now, from there, they they band together, they tally up everyone, uh, and, and figure out, okay, and this is a very trying thing. And I, I always wanted to express this to anyone making the decision. Well, usually decisions are made for themselves or someone where you're just, okay, that that's cool, right? And you have yourself and no one else relying on you, even if it is your job, you have certain different responsibilities. But the sensibility of even having a young one or a child is a lot. And then to have people rely on you for the survival of the, their entirety, their existence, when you don't even know your own, and you're piecing together and figuring things out on the fly. Usually there's a meeting, usually there's a council meeting, usually people talk to one another and converse about things versus just going on a whim and just going with their intuition, going with the flow, boom. And that's what Ayaz and Renzo are doing. And basically to get to the top of a mountain, and to get to the top of a mountain takes a lot of, obviously, physical attributes and exercise. You need nutrients. You need these things to do so. Uh, you need to put gas in your tank. And they're just trying to get the topography of the land so that they can find a river, find some place, a stream, anything as to where they are at. And that's the general sense. Uh, the survival of the rest of them is at the top of their concern. And so I, I begin it where I saying that Renzo could not believe his eyes mouth parched. He had all but prepared a speech for all of the refugees' ultimate denies. Apologizing for his lies, he truly believed that with luck, a hell of a lot of it, gumption that they would survive. And here they stood at the precipice of a mountain staring, they all did. Ephemula dropped to her knees, thanking Renzo, Renzo the Wise. And so, I started the second part, and I remember writing this on the beach, and writing it in different cafes, and I wanted Renzo to be somewhat of the leader, but still, in any general sense, and the other characters from the first book, they're chosen to be leaders but then too it's almost as if it's a position that they had not even been prepared for and they just jumped into it and the responsibility would for a leader in this day and age and and many leaders do uh, are just drove into the the driving seat uh, without any prior knowledge and it continues to go with their better judgment for their their choices for the betterment of the all. And, and it takes uh, wisdom, and they call him Renzo, when Renzo the Wise, excuse me, Renzo. And that was the reasoning of them choosing him to be the leader. 
and I, I wanted that just to be as the little backstory as to who he was mm-hmm. and what he would bring because ultimately his choices um, affected the entirety of them all and so I also go and say that they at the precipice of the mountain and that's where they began this said journey uh, there was nothing at the bottom that would help them just nothing but bones and, and the past like I mentioned and he was apologizing because even if they got to the top of the mountain and he knew in the back of his mind and he was a very smart person that even getting there it would not guarantee them any form of survival versus staying where they were at the only point of them leaving where they were at was so that they didn't have to die where they were while they were there it was a, a mode of survival and he knowing knowingly leading these people to their demise it, it was a gamble a gambit and he didn't like such things and he told the people beforehand so that they would understand that anything that they placed on his shoulders was a culmination of his best guess and so the best guess for the best of them and that's why he said apologizing because he promised if they could survive if he could find a way he was going to find some percentage of them leaving the place and getting to wherever it's a crazy gambit and so it says if only they knew the stream of thoughts that led them from the valley of bones how he took it upon himself the mantle of martyr martyrhood exclaiming that anything was better than waiting for bandits and so they did to everyone's surprise trekked many of them barefoot wooing their cries Ayas visibly flabbergasted his flight of flight kicked in with all of its might the edge in which they stood was not short in height no bridge out of the distance he saw other manfords in flight madness a a civilization yet something did not feel quite right if anything sideways was to transpire at least he would give all his to get upon that island to soak upon its shores to breathe its air for one night okay so let's back up 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 okay so the mountain was not as egregiously big now no mount everest or anything like that but it's not a hill and so to trek upon there took literally quite possibly half our earth days and i call them nano clicks uh in the book and a nano click is generally possibly 12 hours or 14 but i don't allude to any form of what would you call parallel time that we have compared to them Uh, there is only just that reference and then i generally just throw numbers around but they spend a half a day's journey going up and they see this island in the distance and so Renzo uh, speaks to his other uh, the other leader which is Ayaz and they're both amazed and the first thing that comes to mind is they would give anything their arm and a half to get to this island and I describe the island in many ways right there Many people have designed floating islands. There's a movie in Sonic the Hedgehog, floating island, this, this, that, and the third. But generally, 
one comes to mind of either a dome or they either have some decadent skyline or something like this with waterfalls flowing off of the side in a general sense some form of runoff or something like that and for me i i came up with this idea while i was in a, a station earlier today and i was like wait a minute how could i make that different i know in my head it's not that and it's quite futuristic and it looks something as if it was like a space station and I came up with this brilliant idea that I'll implement into the next installment and obviously the book is already written so it's copywritten so that that's good right <laughs> but the idea of a visual and vibration or something else that was a light fixture where People look at cities and they look at the skyline and then they're amazed at all the lights and the pretty things. And for me, I'm like, okay, what if the skyline was way, way, way different and it was a part of the building and it was a part of the structures and I wanted it to be as if someone just flicked on the light and then, or what are those giant... I don't even know what you would call those big, big, big giant lamps or, or speaker looking type of light. And it's kind of like a projector and it projected the, the city, but the city was changing. And so the people actually, uh, when you turn it off, uh, that part of the city disappeared. And it was an intricate thing to have that part either project it out so that the people could see it from the mountain and and that was one of the things that they saw but later on I'll expand out from it because uh, I'm getting ideas even explaining it to you now of how intricate that is and where and the colors and, and the properties of what I'm describing it all makes sense really and if that doesn't make sense to you just think of a projector projecting a giant city that actually exists juxtaposed next to another city and so it's kind of like a city on top of a city and the buildings are moving they're swaying it's alive and it just looks like an illusion and I wanted it to be something science something from outer space or at least something that you would have to think twice that oh well maybe that scene is quite different than another scene and not anything like a, a, a science fiction film that you may or day have not seen on Netflix or Dune or anything like that I, I kind of wanted it to be in a vein of its own and that's why I named it this this projected part of the city but the inherent thing that trips me out is to actually see these people in the distance. And that's a cool part too. And so basically they get to the height of the mountain or the precipice and then they see these beings in the distance that come from the island and they have wings. And so basically that's a trip in itself, right? You, you see an island, you're discovering, and you're like, okay, well, I wish everything in my mind to just go there 
and drink some water or eat some food or whatever and just get into some new clothes and then these beings fly over and so it says out of the distance he saw other men phrased in flight madness a civilization yet something did not quite feel right if anything sideways was to transpire at least he would give his all to get upon that island to soak upon its shores to breathe its air for one night perhaps not never letting go if he found love silly thoughts too thirsty he would simply dive leaving nothing left but more pleasure after one bite who is it of you lot that is in charge he heard a voice scream in his mind renzo no everyone heard the same from the looks of contorted misgivings climb they did a tower of babel no need in turning back now at least that is what renzo had hoped yet why could he not shake the wind sylph's ticklings what mad universe had they entered and so i ended there just because I like cliffhangers and I wanted people to read some more but I wanted it also to be of a futuristic Alfred Hitchcock sense of not angst but a sense of earnestness earnest meaning as in something feeling of urgency they, they were getting to this point or getting to some place after they thought they would simply die but then coming to the realization that they weren't the only ones in Celestial, beyond their own memories missing, then discovering that this floating island is there. Now, not including any other memories that they could have had or have just by jogging it, by looking at it. And so they hear these, these, someone speaking in their mind and everyone is looking around uh, confused. And so he's like, oh man, well what? in the world have I gotten myself into? Like this is just turned into Alice in Wonderland times 50. It completely dwarfs the, the amount of absurdity of seeing a floating island for one, and then two, seeing a city with lights, with all kind of other different things on top of said city. And literally it being alive, and then it could easily disappear. So, that in itself was the second part of the series of the floating islands and I, i'm thinking of this so much that it became like a, an extra part of the series and i included it in the third book but it was an actual fun part to write this part because it was introducing another setting and then giving some credence into why I chose a cat-headed uh, woman as a queen to be as a part of that story. And this was before I even started explaining everything on the floating island. This is before I started explaining any of it. This just had to do with the exposition of it. So, to surmise, Basically, what happened, or what had happened was, you can get a kick out of that, was that these refugees woke up. They were confused, hungry, scared, some actually probably even crazy, but then two chose some leaders and then walked up a mountain and found a, a floating island. They were flipped out, tripped out and then looked at to the rest of the land which was vast and insanely as a, a sheer scape 
or scale, which is something that a continent of our size in, in this day and age would not even compare. The trippy thing was that they heard all voices in their minds. And so that adds to the confusion, the scare, the, the, the everything that goes along with them forgetting their memories. And then the fact that people from the floating island are showing up with animal heads and speaking to them in their heads. And that's what happened. It sounds insane. It sounds like something from Farscape or some science fiction Firefly. No, I'm joking, joking. Firefly is, is a great show. You should check it out. But yes, and, and I'm expanding on this story as I'm telling you now. So be looking for the next installment. Thank you guys for listening. Hit the subscribe button and I will go into the next piece and the next installment which is the floating Isles part three and then afterwards we go into the next but i'm actually going to cue you in on the third book and we get into the third book that's a whole nother can of worms i, I haven't even explained as the title of the book the reasoning the settings the characters it explodes and it's shorter than the second book and the first book but the content is that much more creative and that much more complex so once again this is v aka vernon english thank you guys for listening to the podcast trust me i got more material never-ending stories people think i joke when i say this but it really is so thank you so much thank you thank you thank you peace